When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. As you can tell by the title, this episode will be all about our summer retreat at Di Mauro. That title is a tribute to Calcio Napoli 24, who have been providing excellent coverage of the summer retreat. You'll notice the episode titles will be a little bit different this season. That's one of a couple of changes we're going to make this season. I'll quickly touch on that at the end of the episode. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll introduce you to Luciano Spalletti's technical staff and the 27 players at Di Mauro. In part two, I'll give you my five key takeaways from the retreat so far. And in part three, we'll talk to friend of the pod, Daniel Bowen, who was at the model for the training session on Saturday. So let's start with Luciano Spalletti's technical staff. His assistant coach is Marco Domenichini. Domenichini has been Spalletti's right-hand man for pretty much his entire career. Domenichini was Empoli's U19 manager in 1996, which is where I assume he met Spalletti. Spalletti was managing the senior team at the time. From that point on, Domenichini was Spalletti's assistant manager everywhere he went, from Sampdoria to Venezia, then to Udinese, Roma, Zenit, back to Roma, and ultimately at Inter. Spalletti has two technical collaborators, Daniele Baldini and Francesco Calzona. Baldini has been beside Spalletti for some time as well. He started under Spalletti in his first stint at Roma and has worked with him ever since. Calzona has been an assistant manager at various levels for over a decade, including at Napoli under Maurizio Sarri. When Di Francesco was sacked, Cagliari parted ways with the entire coaching staff as well, including Calzona, but this is his first time being a technical collaborator. 
Spalletti's athletic coach is Francesco Sinati. We've talked about him on the pod already, but as a reminder, he was the athletic coach under Sadi that De Laurentiis convinced to return to the club. So he would have already worked with Calzona together at Napoli. I suspect Sinati is the only member of Spalletti's staff that wasn't actually chosen by Spalletti. Sinati's deputy athletic coach is Francesco Capiapotti. Spalletti's goalkeeper coach is Alejandro Rosalén López. He spent the last eight seasons at Fiorentina. Fiorentina changed their coaches seven times during that stretch, but López remained a constant presence. There he worked with the likes of Neto, Marco Sportiello, Alban Lafont, and most recently Bartolome Drogowski. All of those keepers were in their early 20s. Actually, Lafont was only 19, so López is quite comfortable working with and developing young keepers, which bodes well for Alex Meret. He also had Cyprian Tatrasanu for a long time as well, so should Ospina stay, Lopez should have no issue coaching an experienced keeper at the same time. Finally, Spalletti's match analyst is Simone Beccacchioli. Beccacchioli worked at Roma for a decade, but he joined the season after Spalletti's first stint with the club, though the two did work together during Spalletti's second stint at the club. Beccacchioli spent last season as the chief analyst at Cagliari along with Calzona, so Beccacchioli should be quite familiar with most of the coaching staff. Alright, let's move on to the players. There are 27 players in the squad at Di Mauro. We have four goalkeepers, Francesco Baietti, Valerio Bofelli, Nikita Contini, and Hubert Dasiak. The defenders are Kalidou Koulibaly, Kostas Manolas, Amir Rachmani, Sebastiano Luperto, who returned from his loan at Crotone, Mario Rui, Kevin Malqui, who returned from his loan at Fiorentina, Filippo Costa, Alessandro Zanoli, and Karim Zedadka. In the midfield, we have Diego Demme, Stanislav Lobotka, Eli Velmas, Piotr Zielinski, who joined the club on Monday, Gianluca Gaetano, Zinedine Mishash, Luca Palmiero, and Michael Foloruncho. Finally, the forwards are Victor Osimhen, Andrea Petania, Gennaro Tutino, Matteo Politano, Aramunas, who also returned from Alone to Crotone, and Amato Cicciretti. I'm not going to talk about the Serie A players. If you listen to this pod, you probably know them well, and for any new listeners, not to worry, we'll be talking about them all season. I also won't talk about goalkeeper Hubert Dasik. Again, if you listen to the pod regularly, you know that he is our Primavera goalkeeper. So let me tell you a little bit about the rest of the squad, some of whom you may have never heard of, and some of whom might be familiar names. I'll start with the keepers and work my way forward. Francesco Baietti came through Napoli's youth system, but has yet to make a professional appearance. He spent last season on loan with Perugia's Primavera squad, who I believe play in the 4th Primavera division last season. Valerio Bofelli is our U17 goalkeeper. The 16-year-old made 7 starts in 8 matches last season and finished with 4 wins and 3 losses. Two of those wins were clean sheets. Bofelli averaged 1.42 goals conceded per game, but I don't read too much into that given the small sample size. Realistically, I don't think either of these keepers are ready for Serie A, and I think they know that as well. Just being at the Mauro, training under Lopez, being around the senior team and guys like Nikita Contini is huge for their development. Let's move on to the defenders. There are three players on the squad who I consider relatively unknown. Karim Zadatka is probably the most recognizable name. He joined the senior team in February after his loan to Seri Chisait Cabeza expired. Zadatka didn't feature at all for Napoli. In fact, he hardly played last season. The 21-year-old played a total of 141 minutes over 5 appearances and then missed Cabeza's final 10 games due to injury. Prior to that, he was a regular starter for our Primavera team for two seasons, and that was in Primavera 1. In the second season, we were relegated to Primavera 2. 
Zadatka is listed as a left back, which is probably because of the formation we use, but he's also capable of playing higher up the pitch. Alessandro Zanoli is a 20-year-old right back. We loaned him from Carpi in 2018 and purchased him a year later. Like Zadatka, Zanoli was a regular starter for Napoli's Primavera over the two seasons in Primavera 1. He spent last season on loan at Lenyago in Serie C Group B. Unfortunately, Lenyago finished in the relegation zone last season, so both of Zanoli's clubs over the last two seasons were relegated. The third unknown at the back is Filippo Costa. Costa is a 26-year-old left back who we acquired from Spal in 2019. He was loaned to Bari for the 2019-20 campaign where he featured in all but three matches. Costa played as a left wing back in the 3-5-2 for the first half of the season. Then he played as a left back when Bari switched to the 4-3-1-2 for the second half of the season. Costa was loaned to Virtus Antella in Serie B last season where he made 22 appearances. So he is working his way back up to Serie A. In his time at Spal and even with Kevo before that, Costa made 39 total appearances in Serie A. Zadatka and Costa will be competing for a backup left-back position, assuming that one is available. We all know the club is interested in Emerson Palmieri, but there's a pretty big gap between the asking price and what we're willing to pay. Also, given Mario Rui's salary, I don't think we'll sign Emerson without getting rid of Mario Rui first, even if it is on a loan deal just to offload his salary. In either case, there should be a position available for one of the two, given that Gulam is still recovering from his knee injury. If I had to guess, I'd say Zadadka is the more likely of the two to win that spot, given that he's been training with the senior team for a while now. Zanoli will be competing with Kevin Malqui for the right to back up Giovanni Di Lorenzo. I think I would have to give Malqui the edge there just because of his experience, though if we got a decent offer for Malqui, that could create the opportunity for Zanoli. Moving on to the midfield, Gianluca Gaetano is probably the most recognizable name of the lesser-known midfielders. He is another product of Napoli's youth system, working his way through the youth team, then the U-17s, and then the Primavera. As is often the case when he was no longer eligible to play for the Primavera, Gaetano was sent off on loan. In fact, Gaetano spent 18 months with Cremonese, starting midway through the 2019-20 campaign. In his season and a half in Cremona, the attacking midfielder made 51 appearances in all competitions, scoring 10 goals and assisting on 6 more. Zinedine Mashash is another attacking midfielder. We acquired him on a Bosman in 2018 after his contract with French club Toulouse expired. That was a week after his 22nd birthday. He's 25 now, but has yet to make an appearance for Napoli. That summer, we loaned him to Carpi in Serie B, where he made 10 appearances predominantly as a substitute. The following season, we loaned him to Crotone, and then the season after that, he went to Cosenza. His appearances have steadily increased, though he was still used mainly as a substitute, at least until the second half of the 2019-20 campaign. Then he took on a starting role for Cosenza and scored his first goal in Italian football against Venezia in a 1-1 draw. Last season, we loaned him to VVV Venlo in the Dutch Eredivisie. He made 24 appearances there, most of which were as a starter, and he assisted on 5 goals. So even though he didn't score, he continued to improve both in terms of appearances and production. Luca Palmiero has had a similar career path. He is a defensive midfielder who came through the Primavera before joining different clubs on loan. He played for Paganese, ASD Akagraz, and Cosenza all in Serici. Then he played for Pescara and Kevo Verona in Serie B. Now 25 years old, Palmiero is coming off the best season of his career last year. He played nearly 3,000 minutes playing as one of the two central midfielders in Kevo's 4-4-2. 
He made 37 appearances and he only missed that one match due to suspension for yellow card accumulation. Of those 37 appearances, only 3 were off the bench and even one of those substitute appearances was still for a full 45 minutes. So Palmiero was definitely an important part of Kevo's squad last season. Our last midfielder is Michael Foloruncho, who we purchased from Virtus Francavilla in 2019. Foloruncho is another central midfielder. He was 21 when we purchased him and has shown excellent progression over the last two seasons. First, we loaned him to De Laurentiis' other club, Bari in Serici, where he scored 7 goals and added an assist in 31 appearances. Last season, he played for Regina in Serie B, where he played a key role in keeping them up for their first season after winning promotion. In fact, Regina finished in 11th place, which is a fantastic finish for a newly promoted club. Foloruncho started as a substitute, but quickly played himself into the starting 11. That coincided with Regina switching from a 3-4-1-2 to a 4-2-3-1. Foloruncho scored 6 goals and added an assist after getting into the starting 11. The problem all of these midfielders are going to have is there are very few midfield positions available, though that also depends on how Spalletti builds his squad. We had 3 defensive midfielders last season, but we need to fill back Ayoko's position and Palmiero could well be the player to do so. We know the club does not want to spend and given his progression Palmiero could be a suitable third option. For the attacking midfielders, we already have Fabian Ruiz, Elie Falmas, and Piotr Zielinski. On top of that, Mertens is another option at the 10, so that leaves little room for any of Gaetano, Mashash, and Foloruncho. Let's close part 1 with the forwards. There are only two players to talk about here, and even they are hardly unknown players. The first is center forward Gennaro Tutino. He's only 24 years old, but this guy has been around. Like most of the players we've talked about, Tutino started with Arpema Vera. In the last seven seasons, he's played for Vicenza, Gubbio, Avellino, Bari, Carrarese, Cosenza, Carpi, Cosenza again, Hellas Verona, Empoli, and finally Salernitana. Something clicked at Salernitana last season, which was easily the best season of his career. Tutino scored 13 goals and assisted 6 more, leading Salernitana to a 2nd place finish in Serie B and a return to Serie A after two decades away. That said, I don't think he will be a Napoli player this season. Tutino himself said earlier in the summer that of the two Campania clubs, Napoli and Salernitana, he would have preferred to stay with the Granata. Tutino is heavily linked to a move to Parma, which would be a return to Serie B for him. But even if he wanted to play for Napoli, he's basically competing with Andrea Petania. A lot of people would disagree with me on this, but I would prefer Petania. Now, we could sell Petania, and if we do, we definitely need another striker. There's a pretty steep drop in quality from Osman to an aging Dries Mertens. Now, don't get me wrong, Mertens has plenty to offer, but as we saw last season, at his age, injuries are a real concern. We also know that Osman will miss a month in January to play in the Africa Cup of Nations, so if Mertens happens to be hurt, we need another striker, even if that striker is to back up Lorenzo Insignia playing as a false 9. The final player we'll discuss is Amato Cicciretti. Cicciretti is a 27-year-old right winger. Unlike most of the players we've discussed, Cicciretti actually came up through Roma's youth system. We acquired him on a free transfer in 2018 and subsequently loaned him to Parma, Ascoli, Empoli, and then last season to Chievo. Cicciretti scored 3 goals in 27 appearances last season, which was actually his best production since we've signed him, but Cicciretti's value has steadily declined over that time. Even with Lozano potentially missing some time, I think we're more likely to call up Antonio Trophy to back up Matteo Politano, 
than we are to keep Chichiretti. We also could keep Adam Unas, who could be a backup winger for both Politano and Insigne. However, I suspect he'll be loaned out or even sold to generate some cash. So hopefully that gives you a bit of context around some of the lesser known players at Di Mauro. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll discuss what we might have learned about Luciano Spalletti's plan in his first four days on the job. Boss book in front, tutta Salvatore conto. Radejana mana banashi, partera lundana casa mi. Acaba rindo sol, shashutam, fratelli tu sai mo kashpatam. E no miracle of a gent, signo diena ma present. Falla pa chi mota sta senta, rama o mezza sarà lent. E no miracle of a gent. Signo diena ma present Falla pa chi mota sta senta Rama tutta sarà Quando faccio repo frata va chi no merdosa Cosa 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 frata cosa Quando faccio repo frata capa narra posa Cosa 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 frata cosa Quando faccio repo frata so pericolosa Cosa 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 frata cosa 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 frata cosa Next I'll give you five observations I've made after our first week at Di Mauro I'm recording this episode on Monday, so we've had five training sessions, one on Thursday, two on Friday, and two on Saturday. We also had the Spalletti press conference on Friday and our first friendly on Sunday against Bassa and Naunia. I'll be relying mostly on the training sessions and the press conference for this segment. I mentioned Calcio Napoli 24 at the top. They've broadcast three of the five training sessions, which have been really intriguing and informative. As you probably know, the friendly on Sunday was not televised. All we got was the highlights and a bit of written analysis afterwards. In truth though, even if we got to see the match, I can't imagine there was too much to draw upon there. I'm not saying that these matches aren't useful, I'm sure there are specific things that Spalletti is looking out for, but I won't pretend to know what they are. The match ended 12-0, which is typically how these friendlies go. Just to give you a sense of the quality of the opponent though, they play in the 6th division of Italian football. For those who don't know, this is how Italian football is structured. Serie A has 20 clubs, Serie B has 20 clubs, Serie C has 60 clubs across 3 groups, Serie D has 166 clubs across 9 groups, then you have the Eccellenza which consists of 464 clubs across 28 divisions, and finally we have the Promozione which has 868 clubs across 53 divisions. So even if we assume that all 868 of those teams are equal, there are still 730 clubs that are better than Bassa and Naunia. So with that, let's get to my five takeaways from Spalletti's first few days in charge. The first is that Spalletti confirmed in the press conference that he will be playing a 4-2-3-1. According to Spalletti, that gives us balance in both phases, referring to attacking and defending. That shouldn't come as a shock to anyone that's been Spalletti's preferred formation for quite some time now. Spalletti has also given us some hints at how we might approach our matches. In these scrimmages, the defenders worked on playing the ball out from the back, which is pretty much common practice nowadays, and the attackers worked on pressing the ball. 
My second takeaway is that we should be better this season at breaking down the low block in the conference. Spalletti acknowledged that Victor Osman will be a focal point in the attack, or as Spalletti put it, he will be a point for us to lean on. He also anticipates that opponents would recognize that and try to limit the space they give to Victor, which is what Spalletti suggested when he said opponents would create more density. He's anticipating that opponents will drop deeper and cram a lot of bodies into their own end, and that means that we will need to be good at playing in tight spaces. From what I've seen so far, this has been the number one focus in training. The first training session was somewhat of a soft launch, so there wasn't much to take away from that, but there were plenty of drills on day two. Near the end of the morning session, the staff set up seven dummies, or silhouettes as they call them, at the edge of the area. Spalletti arranged three or four players in between the dummies and instructed them to play a pattern of one-touch passes, concluding with a through ball and an attempt at goal. The players rotated through the positions and then the pattern was mirrored and repeated. There was a heavy focus on playing quick passes on day three as well. The morning session wasn't broadcast, but based on Calcio Napoli 24's live text, there were at least two drills focused on playing triangles. One of them involved the return of the drone that was used by Maurizio Sari in his time at Napoli. In fact, Sari still uses a drone which has been reported by Lazio Media. The afternoon session commenced with some passing drills. The team was divided into groups of four, and the players played one-touch passes first on the ground, then one-touch passes without letting the ball touch the ground, and finally the same drill with headers. Finally, the majority of that session was a scrimmage. It started with half a field, and then the goals were moved even closer together, and you could see that players were only permitted two touches. So again, there's a clear focus on moving the ball quickly and playing in tight, densely packed spaces. My third takeaway is that I think we will look to play a possession game. Now, I should caution that all of these takeaways are based on what is really a small sample size, only a few days of training, but one of the sessions was focused on the defenders who did various passing drills amongst each other. That included passing the ball around the back line, switching the play from the center backs to the wingers, from the full backs to the opposite wings, and so on. So that tells me we intend to maintain possession, we will use our defenders in the buildup, and they too will play a role in the attack. We also saw a drill where the center back would carry the ball forward and play a long ball while the rest of the defenders maintain that line, ready to defend as a unit. Spalletti spoke highly of both Manolas and Koulibaly when he was asked about them. He definitely does not want Koulibaly to leave, knowing he's practically irreplaceable. Fortunately, the offers we are getting for him are nowhere near acceptable, so I do not expect him to leave. My fourth key takeaway is that we should expect to see more squad rotation out of Spalletti than we did out of Gattuso. Gattuso did well rotating players at the end of the 2019-20 campaign, but having won the Coppa Italia and therefore automatically qualified for the Europa League, we had little to play for at the time. We saw far less rotation last season. Of course, we had an injury crisis, so we didn't have much choice, at least in the first half of the season. And then in the second half, we were in a tight race for Champions League qualification, so we had to play our best 11 every match. At that point, we were only playing once a week, having been eliminated from the Coppa Italia and the Europa League anyway, so I don't blame Gattuso for that. That said, Spalletti mentioned that you need 23 strong players to compete for a place in the Champions League, given the strength of the top 7 clubs. He mentioned a couple of times that with midweek fixtures, you must play those who play less. You need to have strong backups or double roles, to use Spalletti's words. When you play on Thursday and then again on Sunday, there will be players who need to recover or who are not in a position to give their best. So you need to have players who could step up for those Europa League group stage matches, perhaps those early rounds of the Coppa Italia, and against some weaker opposition.
Spalletti was also asked about the national team, and though this wasn't a part of his response, a key feature of Mancini's Euro-winning squad is that there was basically a like-for-like replacement for every position on the field. I'll close part two with some players who impressed in the early rounds of training and some players who did not. Victor Osiman has been very impressive. Again, I'm not referring simply to the four goals he scored in the friendly. Again, not a strong opponent, but you can see in training that he's eager to impress. He wants the ball. Even in the scrimmage, he's throwing his arms up to show that he's open. He actually scored some impressive goals in training as well. Likewise, I've been very impressed with Elif Elmas. He does not stop running. When training finishes, he looks like he just played an entire match for how hard he works. In one of the scrimmages, he and Osiman were just running a riot. The two of them simply could not be stopped. What I find very interesting is that both in training and in the friendly, Spalletti used Elmas as the number 10. Elmas does occasionally play in the 10 spot for North Macedonia. Now, Zielinski didn't join the squad until Monday, so that may have been a temporary solution until Zielinski's arrival. On the other hand, perhaps Spalletti has discovered the key to unlocking Elmas's potential. We all know how talented the kid is, but under Gattuso, he was used all over the place. I've been impressed with both of our holding midfielders. It's quite clear that Diego Deme will be a starter. On Friday morning, Spalletti and Deme had a short private session after the morning session ended. Spalletti said in his press conference that night that he told Deme he needs to have his head on a swivel, to paraphrase. When asked if Deme could be his Davi Pizzaro, Spalletti said that he already is, which is high praise indeed. Speaking of turning heads, Stanislav Lobotka has caught a lot of people's eye. He showed up to training in great shape. It looks like he's dropped significant weight over the last month or two. Spalletti said that Lobotka is a player he had his eye on when he was at Inter, and Lobotka scored probably the nicest goal out of the 12 against Basa Anaunia, picking the top corner from outside the area. The final player to impress me has been Nikita Contini. He's the top keeper at the Mauro with Meret and Ospina on vacation. I think he's pretty much guaranteed to be our third keeper, and from what I've seen so far, if Ospina were to leave, I'd be comfortable with Contini playing as the backup goalkeeper. He's trained with the senior team for a while now. He's shown at the Mauro that he's actually quite good with his feet, both in terms of ball control and distribution, and he made some excellent saves in drills during training. Very quickly, there have been four players I have not been terribly impressed with. The first is Sebastiano Luperto. It's hard to judge his defending in training because it's basically no contact, but we want center backs who can distribute the ball, and more often than not, his passes miss, and they often are not even close. Mario Rui is another player who's been disappointing. I don't know if it's related to a possible transfer, but he does not seem to be giving 100%. This could just be his character as well. You might recall that either last season or the one before that, Gattuso sent him out of training after showing a lack of effort. The third disappointment for me is Andrea Petania. The big man doesn't seem to have found his touch quite yet, and apparently he missed an excellent chance in the friendly. Finally, Michael Foloruncho has some work to do. Like Luperto, this assessment is based primarily on the lack of accuracy of his passes. He did score a really nice goal in one of the scrimmages, but as I said in part one, I think it will be very difficult for him to get into the squad. So that will do for part two. In part three, we'll check in with Daniel Bowen on the atmosphere at Di Mauro. Parada, tu me parada canta, cita, 
non saccio più Ti ta gomma se fa, non saccio più Ti ta gomma se fa, se fa Zitta, non saccio più Ti ta gomma se fa, non saccio più Ti ta gomma se fa, se fa Joining me now is friend of the podcast, Daniel Bowen. Daniel, you were at the training session on Saturday. You're based in the north, so I take it this wasn't too long of a commute for you? Uh, it was about three and a half hours, Joe. Okay, so that's still quite a bit of a distance to go to see the team training. Uh, not for me. <laughs> I like driving, to be honest. The drive there is beautiful. It's one of the most gorgeous parts of the north with the mountains and everything, so... There was no traffic or anything. It was just a nice, calm, smooth drive. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that because there's, uh, you know, I've been watching the training sessions online and there's this picturesque mountain setting in the background behind the Carchato field. And I imagine it's even more beautiful in person than what I'm seeing online. Yeah, it's it's really pretty, man. The whole area up here near the Dolomites is is a little breathtaking, to be honest. It is awesome. So before we even get to the training session, I do want to get your take on the kits or, or lack thereof. Uh, the Laurentiis announced that the new kit will be ready on August 20th, which is dangerously close to the start of the new season. In the meantime, we're wearing last year's gear with the tracksuits and t-shirts. We've put a patch over the Kimbo logo because they're no longer our sponsor, so it just says SSC Napoli. Then we saw in the Friendly on Sunday that there's a large blue SSC Napoli sticker over the Kimbo logo on the back of the shirt. Are you concerned that the new kids may not be ready for the start of the season? Uh, No, to be honest, I think they'll be ready. I, I mean, that would really make uh, <laughs> ADL look goofy if the kids aren't ready by the time they play the first game. But as a fan, it's super disappointing not to be able to have the opportunity to get a kit well before the first game. And normally when they train in the model, they've got a really nice pro shop there with, with the new kits. And to find out that they're not even going to be ready for Castle de Songer, which I plan on going to also, was disappointing, to say the least. Yeah, and that's why I brought it up, because... I knew there was the shop there, and that's also something that there's been quite a bit of talk about. I sent you a picture of a zip-up sweater that, unfortunately, you said wasn't even there anymore. So at least people are buying the merchandise. Um, but the Tutelia Malia Twitter account, which is my go-to for everything related to Napoli merchandise, uh, said that that sweater was from 
2013, 14 or thereabouts. So they're really digging through the closets to find some stuff that they can sell. Uh, we also saw four t-shirts, which appear to be self-produced. The tags have the, the Napoli logo on them, but there's no logo elsewhere on the shirts. And each shirt is a caricature of a player. They're all forwards. There's Osaman, Mertens, Insigne, and Lozano. The Lozano shirt has a sombrero on it, and the Osaman caricature has a tail. I don't know if it's supposed to be like a panther or a cheetah or something. I don't know if I'm blowing this out of proportion, but that seems a little bit discriminatory to me. Did you happen to see those shirts while you were there uh, visiting the shop? I did. You know, I saw a picture of one of them before I got there, like a day or two before that. and. I was like, okay, that doesn't look like the most professional production of a t-shirt, even if it is a caricature, which are, you know, they're supposed to be a little bit, have a little bit of a comic relief to them. But uh, seeing them in person, that was disappointing too, to be honest. Uh, It seems like they just threw something together and didn't really take their time in doing it. And if you notice the, the Insignia one, there was a, a gentleman with his son that was looking at the shirts and everything. And I had mentioned something to them. Hey, you know, it looks like Insignia has boobs. And like, what? And I was like, yeah, look at it real close. It looks like he actually has boobs. And the the kid looked at it and he was like, oh my God, yeah, it does. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm telling you, nobody, the entire time I was there that day, I didn't see one person wearing them. The rack looked completely full. They had old gear from last year and they had, uh, you know, they did have a good selection of hats. I bought a hat or two and that was nice to see. At least there was something worth buying, but the pro shop isn't what it used to be, you know, I mean, and it's probably because they don't have the new merchandise, but usually they've got a, a bigger pro shop with a lot more stuff to to buy. And this time they don't. I did notice that um, they were doing that whole thing that ADL does with a couple of the players at the pro shop and them signing stuff if you buy it, which I think is is selfish in itself to make somebody buy merchandise in order to get an autograph for one of the players. So I think they did the same thing again. And uh, Ozeman was wearing the T-shirts, the caricature T-shirts. So, you know, your mention of, you know, maybe it was a little bit distasteful or whatever. I can't remember what word you used, discriminatory, but... You know, he's wearing it, so maybe he doesn't feel so much that, that like that. <laughs> but, um, I mean, what can you say? I think they'll be ready. The shirts will be ready. But it's just disappointing that you can't even buy stuff as a fan until just before the first game, to be honest. And maybe they were just being playful with the idea of the tail. I mean, he's obviously a, a fast player. And I did see that. We're recording this on Monday, and I think they did a, I guess, a little autograph session with Victor and... I think Mario Rui and maybe one other Diego Dem, I believe, was the other player. And Osaman was he was wearing the shirt. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that was a way to help sell some of the shirts as well, if you can get a signature on them. You were there on Saturday for the training sessions at the friendly on Sunday against Basa Naunya. It seemed like there were quite a few fans. I know there's a significant media contingent there, but were there many fans at the training session that you went to? I guess it met my expectation of how many fans were there due to the uh, social distancing requirements. So once the training session actually started, it seemed like there wasn't very much room left for anybody if you still wanted to adhere to the social distancing. So it seemed like it was a packed house. 
because of the fact that you have to keep your distance between one another. So that was nice to see. The atmosphere was positive. I didn't really feel like there was any tension going on or anything. It seemed like people in general were optimistic about our new coach. The only thing that I did hear a few times, and I went out to the piazza at night and was uh, listening to some of the TV broadcasts that were going on, and some things were brought up, like the the Calcio Mercato and how the transfer market for Napoli is, you know, not looking very promising, and people worried about Insigne. I, I still think Insigne is going to extend, and it would be nice to see if, you know, due to the things that are going on with COVID and the financial difficulties that uh, every team is having, that. It would be nice to see Insigne extend and not really expect a pay raise. But the other thing is you have to imagine that he feels like he deserves one because of having such a great year. And then, you know, being one of the important players for winning the Euros. So you can't really blame Insigne if he wants a little bit of a pay raise. But it would be nice to see him say, hey, you know, I understand. I mean, maybe the the extension can be structured to where there's not a raise up front and there's a raise in the final couple of years of the contract or something like that. You know, I was wondering about the Di Lorenzo extension. I couldn't find it anywhere and nobody's been able to find it. I asked a couple, uh, I, I tweeted something and I get people that are saying, Hey, he just did an extension and he didn't get a pay raise on that last year. But I haven't really seen that where it says that he did not. And I'm curious about that because if he did get an extension with a pay raise, then you would expect that Insigne would for sure get something, right? Yeah, my understanding is that with Di Lorenzo, I mean, they're they're kind of marketing it as an extension so the club could give themselves a pat on the back. But my understanding was that it was an option that the club exercised. So it was initially a... I think a five-year contract or a four-year contract, but there was a, an additional year that the club had an option to extend. So that would lead me to believe that it's probably at the same pay for that additional year. It just seems odd because everyone's saying, oh, we extended him. Like even the Napoli official Twitter account posted that we've extended Di Lorenzo to 2026, but it's only one year and it was that option. On Insignia, I'm thinking along the same lines that you are with an extension that my theory is that they'll give him a, a long-term extension, which basically takes him to retiring with the club, and use that to kind of spread his wages a little bit. So normally for a player that's 30, you might get a two- or three-year deal at a higher wage. I'm thinking the club's going to give him, say, a five-year deal, and then when he turns 33, 34, 35, that salary starts to come down. So just to give you some numbers to give you a, a rough taste of the, the math, let's say they gave him... Five and a half million for the first two years, which would be like a, a million dollar raise on his current salary. Then they give him three million when he turns 33, two million at 34, and one million at at 35. That totals, I think, 17 million. But you pay him an equal amount over the five years. So 17 divided by five is three and change, let's say. So in effect, the club achieves a reduction in salary, which is what they're wanting on a, at least for the first year, let's say the remaining year of his contract, he goes from four and a half million to say three and a half million. 
But Insigne gets a guaranteed $17 million over five years, which maybe he would not get if he were to leave the club. He might get the $10 million or $12 million over two years, let's say. But he doesn't have that, that guarantee beyond that point. So I think something to that effect is what I'm expecting for, for an Insigne renewal. I also don't think Koulibaly is going to be sold based on some of the offers that we're getting. But then that leads me to believe that we're also not going to be very active in acquiring players. And I know everybody wants a left back. Everybody wants Emerson. I'm very concerned that we could be looking at Mario Rui as our left back again for another season. So, yeah, I, I saw something recently today that said that uh, Emerson and another midfielder somewhere in the German league, I can't remember the name, to be honest, is uh, is like they're blocked and... They will be sold to Napoli as soon as Napoli sells some of their players so that they can afford to pay for them. Yeah, well, that's what it is. Like, we need to sell. I, I don't know. I, I just I don't know if I believe that, to be honest. I, I don't like the whole idea of you have to sell a player before you buy a player. Because if you do that, then you're going to miss out. I think that's happened with Napoli before where – they're trying to wait it out until they can sell somebody before they buy somebody. But you're going to miss out sometimes when you do that. And I'll tell you what, man, <laughs> seeing Mario Rui just go through the motions in training. Cause it's exactly what it looked like to me. He did not look like he was making an effort. He, I don't know how many balls he lost. He's probably like, you know what? Get me the hell out of here because you don't want me anyway. So a lot of these used to, get whatever he can get for him and sell him so that you've got something to start working on getting somebody else. You're not going to get what you're asking for, for Koulibaly, which I'm happy about because he needs to stay. If you look at our roster and what everybody gives us right now today, he's probably the most important player, the most irreplaceable. So I'm glad that that's happening. And then, there's crickets about Fabian. I thought for sure Fabian would be sold before anybody, and it would be fairly quick. And you haven't heard anything with clubs being interested in Fabian. Have you seen something that seems real? Because I haven't heard anything about him. And, and to me, if you're going to try to sign players, he makes the most sense to sell to get the funds that you need to actually buy players. Have you heard anything about Fabian in the market? No, I haven't. And I think that's the key to unlock the Mercato for Napoli. The thought was we sell him for somewhere in the neighborhood of 50, 60 million euros. That then allows you to bring in that left back Emerson for 20 to 30, somewhere in that range. You still have another 30 that you can spend on a replacement midfielder. Some of the names that we've seen lately are Turam, Toliso, some of these guys, I don't know if they would end up being that player or if we just pocket that cash and use some of the other guys or bring in someone younger that can be more of a backup. I don't expect the club to make any moves unless we sell someone. Unfortunately, I think that's just the financials dictating our our behavior and missing the Champions League two years in a row. You mentioned Mario Rui and and not looking like he's putting in 100% effort. I kind of noticed the same thing in some of the footage that I've seen of the training sessions. So that is cause for concern, definitely. Was there anything else at training that stood out to you in terms of some of the players, in terms of some of the drills that Spalletti and his his staff were doing? The two players that stood out for me just with their natural ability and looking fit and 
you know, looking like they were in command of what they were doing was was Koulibaly and Oziman. Whenever they needed to do something, they executed. So I, I'm, I was expecting that, though, to be honest, because they're very athletic. I knew that they were going to be in shape because they've had time to work on their fitness all by themselves and not really have to worry about international duty. And then uh, just looking at some of the other players that we've had out on loan that are that are back with them training, at least during the summer and to figure out if they have a chance to stay with the team. Um, Ounas, for me, has been the player of the last several years that has a lot of potential, but has never been able to stick on a roster and stay with the team. I think maybe one year he was on a roster and he actually stayed during the season, but he made some few moves is like, okay, that's something that we need. The creativity and the movement with the ball and the ability to cross it into the box and find somebody to get on the other end of the ball. He did that several times. And I know the position he plays, like his main position is a right winger, but he also has the ability to play anywhere up top. So does Lozano. Politano is really limited to that right wing, and maybe he can play as a secondary striker. But, you know, Insigne is always going to be on the left. I know that he played false nine during the Euros. I really don't think that's his strength. I think Insigne could play a number 10. But the thing is, is the more players that Spalletti can have to pull from and to, you know, put into this game and put into that game and bring off the bench, the better for them up top because it's obvious that he's going to want to play a super hyper attacking style. So I'm praying that Ounas ends up staying because I would like to see him really get his opportunity because he hasn't had it with Napoli. Yeah, I mentioned this in part one as well, that I think he could be an option if we're not willing to buy players, that he could be an option that we just keep as a backup. We need a, a backup for Insigne, as you mentioned. And like you said, Lozano has the ability to play on the left wing. So you could even have a situation where on a day where you give Lozano a rest, you play Politano on the right, you make Lozano the backup left winger for Insigne and Unas the backup right winger for Politano. We also know that Lozano is going to miss a little bit of time at the start of the season because of the injury he picked up at the Gold Cup, right? So it, it doesn't hurt. If it's not him, then maybe it ends up being one of the younger guys or maybe we call up a trophy again or something like that. Dan, I'm going to let you go, but you will be attending the second friendly match, which is on Saturday against Pro Vercelli, right? Yes, I will be. Um, I know you've had Alex on the uh, pod too, so he's coming down from Stuttgart, and we're going to okay. meet up and uh, and see a practice or two and go to that friendly. Uh, I'm looking forward to that because, you know, the, the team they just played was was really a pushover team for them, but Pro Vercelli is at least a Serie G team, so we'll see if they can put any pressure on our boys and if they can respond to that i'm looking forward to seeing how they do that sounds good so maybe we'll check in with you guys uh, sometime next week to chat about how that went sounds good joe all right thanks for taking the time then all right no problem so that is where we'll leave it 
Before I wrap up the episode, I mentioned at the top that there will be more changes to come. Some of the feedback I've received in the past is to bring more guests on, so that's what we're going to do. For now, the format will remain as is, but when the new season commences, we'll be doing match reviews with a panel of guests, so stay tuned for that. That could mean eliminating the match day reviews, which is somewhat beyond the scope of this podcast, and honestly, I don't think I'll have the capacity to produce three episodes a week, but let me know if you really like those segments, I'll see what I can do. I'll still be watching most of the matches each round, because that still helps me with my previews, so I know how everyone plays. I'll be back with another episode in about a week's time, but until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre. for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.